You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. She's just too unstable. She's not overly burdened with brains. Childlike, very feminine. Pretty scared of weapons, clumsy, and physically unsuited for her job. How can this small, fragile woman ever become a spy? I'm TK, your guide to the past as we uncover the people, events, and little-known facts hidden in the shadows of your old history textbooks. From empress baddies to activist profiles, turkey gods and the history of the toothbrush, tattoos, Pompeii peepees, and everything in between, you can find it all here. There's no telling how far we'll dig or how many historical facts we'll re-examine. No event is too small and no topic is too big because this is for the love of history. Hello, 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 my friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. If you're new here, welcome. If you're not, I'm so glad you're back, friend, because we have an amazing episode today. And before we get into that, make sure you check out For the Love of History on Instagram for all the pictures of today's episode. More For the Love of History fun. And if you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can leave a rating and review or join us over on Patreon for more fun content. So... We are taking it back to a topic that I almost never really talk about, World War II. But this isn't your typical World War II story, nay nay dear one. This is the story of Noor Inat Khan, princess, spy, and Nazi killer. Woohoo! Goodness, literal chills. I cannot wait to get into this one. So, Grab your spy gear and a fake mustache, and let's get to it. Noor Enid Khan was completely unknown to me until I was doing what uh, pretty much everyone in the world was doing in 2020, finding something to watch on Netflix. I love historically based movies, whether fiction or based on true stories. Shocker, I know, right? So I go through history movies like People Eat Potato Chips. As I was scrolling, I saw a movie called A Call to Spy, and there were three ladies on the movie cover. Spies, ladies, history. Clearly, I had to watch it, right? I had no choice. And so I did. And I was blown away by that movie, and I decided to put Noor on the episode topic list, and now we're here. And P.S. and by the way, this episode is a massive spoiler alert for that movie, but it's been like 75 years since World War II, so I, th- I think we're okay. I think it's past the statute of limitations. <laughs> so our story begins in 1914 in Moscow, right next to the Kremlin. Hazrat Inid Khan and Aura Ray Baker had their first child. So exciting, right? That little sweet baby was Noor. Noor Uncia, meaning light among women. 
Noor's mother was an American who had changed her name to Amina Sharada Begum after her marriage. Noor's father was a musician and philosopher who was known as Enid Khan. Her father wasn't only a musician, however. Noor's father was a prominent preacher of Sufism, a mystical practice of Islam. So let's talk a little bit more about her religious beliefs and the influence of her father and how it impacted her life in such a profound way. Sufism is a mystical Islamic belief and practice in which Muslims seek the truth of divine love and knowledge through direct personal experience of God. There is a heavy focus on selflessness, love, and acceptance of others' journeys in life. All life has value and all life is sacred. And a lot of these messages are shown or given through music and thus her father was a musician. Noor's father would come to be a very prolific preacher of Sufism in Europe and had many followers and would also shape how Noor saw the war world. <laughs> Noor world. That's a, it's a hard thing to say. Anyways, shortly after Noor was born, World War I broke out and her family was forced to flee to England. But her stay was quite short there. Noor's father was really pro-India, and uh, Britain was very much not pro-India independence. So as one might imagine, shit got a little, little tense, little, little tense real fast, because he was quite outspoken about his views on colonialism, as he should have been, because England was doing some shady shit in India. Also, P.S. and by the way, Noor's great-great-great-grandfather was Tipin Sultan, Tipu Sultan, the famous ruler of the Kingdom of Mysore, and he died fighting against the British um, in India in 1799. So people didn't really know that, but when people found that out, the British were not super keen on that, so that was another reason why they had to flee England. So after Facing increased surveillance from the British for his pro-India views, Enoch would again relocate his family in 1920 to Paris. When Noor was eight years old, her family moved into a house called the House of Blessings, and it was given to the family by one of her father's followers. And this was a pretty common thing. Her father had a lot of followers, and so a lot of people wanted to give him things do nice stuff for him. So yeah, it was pretty normal. And the house wasn't just for Noor and her family. She grew up with a super duper diverse and international childhood because people of all backgrounds would come and go at the house. And Noor loved this. And she would go grow to love and appreciate all people and value all lives. From a young age, Noor was said to have been incredibly self-sacrificing and in touch with others' emotions. She was kind, thoughtful, and very smart. Her nephew, Zia Inid Khan, in an interview with Al Jazeera said, From a young age, Noor was already someone who was always very intrinsically selfless and self-giving. She loved taking care of the many children that came and went through the House of Blessings. But tragedy would strike the Khan family again in 1927. 
Noor's father, Enid Khan, died while on a pilgrimage in India. Her mother was totally overwhelmed by grief and fell into a deep depression that lasted years, forcing Noor, at just 13, to look after the family. She became the head of the household, and her sense of duty and selflessness only increased. Even as she managed the house, Noor wrote short stories and poems to the family and enrolled at, who? it's French, hold on, École Normale de Musique de Paris. My French has gotten so good. <laughs> so this was a super fancy university where she just went and studied basic things. But at the same time, she also went to study child psychology at the Sorbonne because she's a badass and could do anything. Just like you, my dear sweet friend. Just like you. You can do anything. I believe in you. So after finishing school, Noor continued to write and create an English translation of the Jakarta tales that were fables about the previous incarnations of the Buddha. Her book, 20 Jakarta Tales was published in 1939. She also contributed regularly to French radio and children's magazines, which is super cool. Once again, killing the game, loving everything about it. Oh, also, just a little side note, she wrote a retelling of Homer, but didn't get it published when she was alive. But her nephew, who we talked about a little bit earlier, got it published for her posthumously. And that is so awesome. It's super cool. She's so smart. I just love Noor. Anyways, unfortunately, once again, tragedy would strike the Khan family. And really, actually, the whole of Paris. When in 1940, I'm sure you can guess what happened, World War II started. She had to flee for a second time back to Britain, along with thousands of other French residents. It was the beginning of World War II, and her life would change forever. I'm Rachel Everett Lazan. And I'm Emily Barleen. And we host a podcast called Horrible History. We're morbidly curious individuals who love to do research. And we really miss traveling. So each week, we head to a new destination to learn about a horrible event. Like in episode eight, when I take us to LA to cover a real life Batman living in his lover's attic. Spoiler alert, it's a tale of sex, jealousy, and murder. And in episode three, I cover a dancing plague in Strasbourg, France that killed over 400 people. So if you're a member of the Morbid Curious community, tune in every Thursday for well-researched historic tales about all things horrible. Available everywhere you listen. Hopefully you'll be horrified. It's 1940, the start of the Second World War, and Noor is back in a country that didn't really want her in the first place. What was she going to do? In an interview with her brother, Vilayat Inat Khan, he said, You see, Noor and I had been brought up with the policy of Gandhi's nonviolence 
and at the outbreak of the war, we decided what we would do. Of course, they were both vehemently opposed to everything the Nazis stood for, but they also could never condole violence. So what were these two to do in a war where violence seemed to be the only option? Nor and her brother decided that simply opposing fascism and racism and violence was not enough. They felt morally compelled to play a more active role in the war effort, but in a nonviolent way. So how were you supposed to do that? For Noor, this meant joining the Women's Auxiliary Air Force. And she did that for a while. She liked it well enough, but she felt like something was just off. In the book Shadow Knights, The Secret War Against Hitler, Gary Kimaya writes, She, Noor Inayat, felt she had come to a dead end in the WAAF and was longing to do something more active in the prosecution of the war, something that would demand more sacrifice. And that sacrifice would come in the form of volunteering for some of the most dangerous work of all, joining the Special Operations (laughs) Executive. Man, I was doing so good at being really cool. But I fucked it up. Anyways, the Special Operations Executive, SOE. She began training as a radio operator and became a secret agent. I know what you're thinking, friend. Radio operator, how is that dangerous, TK? She's not shooting guns or flying or bombing planes. And that's an excellent question, my dear friend, one that I myself had. So here's the thing about radio operators that I learned. They are not just there playing World War II greatest hits all over the radio, nay, nay. They are relaying super duper uber secret messages and coordinating all kinds of stuff via radio. And here's the thing the Nazis can easily track you and find you and kill you via radio waves. Okay, this is a bit of a side note, but if you are a fan of historical fiction and you like reading World War II history, or even if you don't, I don't particularly like it, but I loved this book. There is a book all about this kind of Nazis seeking out radio people in Paris and also a blind girl living through World War II. It's a book. It's so good. It's called All the Light We Cannot See. I'll link it in the show notes. You're gonna love it. I promise you. It's so good. Anyways, back to our topic. So, the path from regular Noor to super secret radio spy Noor was not an easy one and almost didn't happen. Radio spy was not a typical job for women in World War II, let alone a woman of color, of Indian descent. So needless to say, the higher-ups had it out for her and were super-duper dicks, like full-on bag of dickery at the training facility. They were so mean. In her feedback reports, Nor was called unstable, not overly burdened with brains, 
childlike, very feminine, pretty scared of weapons, clumsy, and physically unsuited for her job, among other super awful things. Other reports suggested that she was unstable and temperamental, and it's very doubtful whether she was really suited for work in the field. That's what they said. But Maurice Buckmaster, the F section chief of the SOE, said, fuck that. Buckmaster and the intelligence recruitment officer, Vera Atkins, saw Noor's potential and asked 22-year-old Leo Marx, the dude who made the codes for England, like a super-duper genius code-making dude, to personally evaluate and train Noor. Marx read Noor's biography to try and understand her and really dug into her life, saw her idealism as a strength, and by the end of their training together, Noor became one of the best radio code-makers during the war. Her position was approved, and in the early hours of 17 June 1943, Noor became the first woman agent to be parachuted behind enemy lines in France. Her mission was to maintain radio contact between Britain and the resistance in Paris. This was an unbelievably dangerous job. Radio equipment was bulky and hard to conceal, and staying on air for more than 20 minutes at a time risked detection by the enemy. The average lifespan of a field agent in Paris at the time was just six weeks. And I could not for the life of me find out if people meant that radio workers usually died in six weeks or it was just six weeks until their cover was blown and they had to return to England. I really hope it's the latter, but I feel like it's that they died after six weeks and that's just awful. Ugh, I, I hate that statistic so much, but I digress. Noor became a member of the French resistance network called Prosper under the code name Madeline. Noor proved herself in the first 72 hours of being in Paris by setting up and transmitting messages, which was basically unheard of and like never been done before, which is hella fast. It's super, super fast. People were really surprised. Noor worked tirelessly with the Prosper team, but seven days after her arrival in Paris, the entire team was apprehended by the Gestapo. Noor was basically the only radio operator left in France and thus became responsible for every weapon delivery, every supply delivery, every rescue mission, and all the other coordinating war thingies that one has to do during war all by herself. And Noor continued to do a hell of a job. She single-handedly kept France and Britain in contact, constantly moving, constantly on the run with her big ass radio equipment. She had to change her looks several times because the Gestapo was closing in on her. She was the last radio person left, which made her a way easier target to find. She went from being able to be on the radio for 20 minutes to barely being able to get on for five minutes. Safe houses were becoming more and more scarce 
and she almost got caught while setting up her radio wire outside, but she talked her way out of it. Nazis, in addition to being racist pricks, are also sexist and didn't believe that women could be spies. Nor evaded capture for three months as the Paris Resistance Network, which had been infiltrated by double agents more deeply than anyone had realized, began to disintegrate during the summer of 1943. In October, she was ratted out and arrested at her Paris flat and taken to German security headquarters. Three months. The life expectancy was six weeks with a full-ass team. And she survived alone for three months. Nor was on the run every single day and became incredibly exhausted. And in a final attempt to find some sort of strength or something, she went back to her childhood home. She took sanctuary in her neighbor's house because her own was full of Nazi soldiers. There was a Nazi flag even hanging from the porch. But this risk would prove to be her undoing. She was too close. The Gestapo knew everything about her. Her code name Madeline, her family in Britain, even her mother's name. Even the fact that her favorite color was blue because her final wardrobe change to avoid detection was all blue. Historians disagree as to who the traitor was that ratted her out to the Gestapo, but there are two likely culprits. The first is Henry Derricourt, who was revealed to be a double agent, but who may have done so on the orders of British intelligence with M16 or MI6. Oh my god. <laughs> not not M- M16, MI6. The secret, secret squirrels of... Britain. <laughs> Anyways, the second was Renee Gary, the sister of Noor's supervising agent, who may have been paid off and who may have been seeking revenge on Noor, believing that she had stolen the affections of SOE agent France Atelmy. Um, but it's really unknown if Noor was actually involved with him or not. And also, like, it's the Gestapo. D- why would you rat somebody out to them? That's just ridiculous. And for money, I think she only got like the equivalent of like a couple hundred dollars, actually. <sighs> Humans never cease to disappoint me. Anyways, but regardless of who ratted her out, Nor was arrested and imprisoned in October of 1943. And although she consistently lied to investigators and even attempted to escape twice, the Nazis were able to find her and her notebooks and use the information in them to impersonate her and continue to transmit to unsuspecting London headquarters. This resulted in the captures and deaths of more SOE agents who were sent to France because their supervisors either did not realize or they believed that Khan's transmissions were fake. Nor made two immediate escape attempts, right? And 
she refused to sign an agreement with her captors ruling out a third. And her second attempt at escape is amazing, and I have to tell you about it. So it has to do with the toilet and a screwdriver. Nor was captured with two other SOE agents at the time, two men. And they were basically in a house, a big old giant Gestapo house. And they could go to the bathroom. And in the bathroom, the three of the prisoners would pass back and forth this screwdriver. And on their windows, they had bars. So they would take this screwdriver and just like scrape at the bars to try to get them loose. And they did. They totally did. All three of them got their bars loose and they were able to escape. But just as they were escaping, literally as they were leaving the building, there was a night raid that happened. A bombing night raid. And so when that happens, the freaking Gestapo has to go check all the prisoners and see if they're there still. And they did. And Nor and the two other prisoners weren't there, so they went and found them. <sighs> it was bad timing. Anyways, I'm very upset about it. After these attempts and discovering just how much Nor had done on her own to hinder the Nazis, she was labeled as Nacht und Nabel, which is night and fog. A label for agents that were most dangerous, meaning they would go to concentration camps or prisons. She was kept in solitary confinement in Falserheim prison for 10 months. And on September 12th, 1944, she was sent to Dachau concentration camp and tortured there. There are two differing accounts of her death, one given by an SS officer who witnessed the execution, portrayed it very clinically. A death sentence was pronounced, some sobbing, and the execution style death. Another, given by a fellow prisoner who survived the camp, claimed that Khan was beaten before being executed, and her final words were liberté. But regardless, she and three other SOE women were executed the next day. She was 30 years old. According to the book Spy Princess, Nora's interrogator in Paris, Ernest Vaught, told Jean Overman Fuller, a friend and author of Nora's 1952 biography, Madeline, how he had never come across someone like Nora and admired her courage, bravery, and kindness. Here's a quote from the biography. Vaught once asked her whether she had wasted her life by joining the service and that her sacrifice was in vain. She replied, it did not matter. She had served her country, and that was recompense. My dear sweet friend, we have come to our final thought, and I am here to put some light back into this tragic story. I would like to introduce you to Shurabani Basu, Sharobani Basu is an Indian journalist and historian and the author of several books, including The Spy Princess, a novel about none other than Noor herself. Sharobani is the woman responsible for saving the memory of Noor. She wrote the book Spy Princess and founded a memorial in 2012 in the name of Noor. 
Sherabani is also one of the founding members of the Noor Inat Khan Memorial Trust, which is a nonprofit organization that has been set up in the memory of World War II heroine Noor Inat Khan. They work to promote the message of peace, nonviolence, and religious and racial harmony, all things that the princess Noor Inat Khan stood for. In an Al Jazeera article, Sherabani says, quote, Khan did not have to fight the war, but she did so for her core principles of nonviolence, universality of religions, fighting against fascism, and occupation. The statue and the memorial trust are two huge steps in recognizing the contribution of both women and people of color. And I'll let Ms. Sherabani end this episode. It is important to realize the war would not have been won by allies without the likes of Noor and millions from the British colonies, a fact which is too often ignored. Experts say the contribution of people of Asian descent and people of color to the nation building has hardly been acknowledged at a time when ethnic minorities feel increasingly marginalized under a right-wing government. The understanding in the West is that Britain won this war on its own, that Churchill won it for them. They need to know there were 2.5 million people of Indian subcontinent who came forward to volunteer for this war. This was won on the backs of these Indians, and Nor was a part of them. That is all, my dear friend. Thank you so much for your time today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. I just, I learned so much from these podcast episodes. It's amazing. Thank you so much for being here with me. And if you really enjoyed the episode, I would greatly appreciate you taking your time to leave a rating and review. It helps other like-minded history lovers find for the love of history. And it makes me feel super duper good to read your messages and your reviews. I absolutely love it. I love hearing from you. And if you are feeling super generous, you can follow the links on my Twitter and Instagram bio to join for the love of history Patreon and receive all sorts of goodies like stickers, 15% off of For the Love of History merch, and access to the close friends only stories on Instagram. And that's all I got for you today, my lovely friend. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. (laughs) Drink your water, do something that makes you happy, take care of yourself, give yourself a a big hug, take care of yourself, and I will see you on August 6th when we talk about another bomb-ass lady. Zing Yi Sao, the Pirate Queen of China. Okay, bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>